to Sarah's space. Guess who's here? <laughs> this is my triumphant return. Yeah. <laughs> I came in oh. full glory. It is the return of the mighty Alyssa, and it's delightful, as you can hear in my voice. It's already been joyous. So, hello, Alyssa. Sarah, you are coming in with such an authority. It's almost as if you are the <laughs> the, the host and the moderator <laughs> at the same time. Well, you know, I've had to fill a space where you left me bereft. <laughs> I've done my best. I've done my best. I'm feeling um, a certain amount of of comfort behind this strange little black device with microphones in it. Yes. That is so exciting. Yeah, not bad. That means the future continues onward. It, it does. And I do hope that you will pop in now and then through your famous discovery of career opportunities. Don't give me that look. <laughs> It's a famous discovery. Everybody knows about it. <laughs> okay, perhaps that was clumsy wording. Through your discovery of your famous career opportunities. There we go. Yes, I am famous. You know, actually, I will say a little thing. While I was away, hello, people. I'm sorry I was away. It was... No, don't be sorry. You no, know. I'm not sorry. It was very important. I'm being polite. It's okay. <laughs> so, back, back to the truth. What <laughs> things I was doing was I was doing an advanced training workshop okay um and there were people from all over the world mostly there was some Canadians some people from the states and there was a large group of people that traveled from Indonesia for the wow. training yeah. okay um and uh I was the youngest one there everyone is um quite a few years older than me and at the end of the week um I was becoming Facebook friends with all of my new Indonesian friends right and one of them said uh, you know, I talked to a relative of mine who lived here, and they said that you're a performer and that you're famous. And they know you. And they know you. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so, awesome. So you are famous. So I am. So famous. why even bother? You shouldn't even been questing all this time. You, you know, been... I have another story. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I was just walking over the Broad Street Bridge, right? And there was a jogger, and they went, oh, "I've seen you perform. You were." Amazing. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, that's so nice. We don't get those anecdotes very often. That's a nice one. It was so nice. Yeah, it was absolutely. Really nice. Who did that happen to have been that you were performing with? Can you recall? That was on a specific show that was quite some time ago, probably about seven years ago or more. Okay. And it was called New Raw. And it was a piece by Deanna Peters. And, oh, okay. Yeah. And it was lo- was it local that they had seen you? It was local that they had seen us. Yeah, that was the one that you guys toured with, right? Yeah. Okay. We yeah, took, that I was remember. a that was a successful piece. Yeah, that's excellent. Yes, I had a big solo in it. I really did. I so really you're really did. famous. Yeah, and uh, made a big impact on my the local universe. and international <laughs> fan base. Yeah. Okay, she's about to get her pen ready for autographs now. <laughs> Just taking a few notes here. So no. I've been missed. I know I've been missed. Yes, you have been. missed. And thank you for. The allowance to go and fulfill the absolutely and are you things. fulfilled as far as the actual time frame of the workshop has that been completed now yes yes yeah and that was such a fantastic experience wonderful it was just one of the best weeks ever it was so great there was so much learning yeah. about the body and how yeah. cool the body is yeah and the nervous system and working with groups of people and just, oh, Sarah, there was a lot of stuff. You would have loved that week, actually. Well, you know what's interesting? I, I did want to 
just segue into a book about everything you're talking about. I was, uh, one of my birthday presents from Michael was a trip to the Banyan bookstore, which is my little plug for the Banyan bookstore. It's my favorite bookstore other than Monroe's in Victoria. And uh, he, he wanted to get me a book for my birthday of my choice and then just wander through that area. And I always go to the, uh, basically anything to do with movement or anything to do with anatomy or anything to do with health or nutrition, etc. So I went to that aisle and I do actually possess most of the books that they have, but there was a new one that was called holistic anatomy. And it's a whole new way of thinking for me. I'm not saying it's a whole new way of thinking for the world by any means, because I would say that I have always been a fact-based science-based when you see it, feel it, or can experience it, it's happening. If it's something a little more ephemeral or something you have to maybe place a bit more trust and faith in, it might be something that's a little harder for me to believe. I actually use that word. But uh, there's been a big shift in my thinking in the last couple of years in the sense that it makes perfect sense, especially for myself when I am so sensitive and I am very aware as a human being just about my surroundings and about the way I'm feeling in my surroundings and actually also how others are feeling in my surroundings. Sometimes I wish I was less aware because it's very busy and noisy, but I started to think, well, it makes perfect sense to call something holistic because it is the entire, our humanity is being affected by whatever's going on for us, whether it's an accident or a trip, we trip on something on the sidewalk or we have an altercation while we're driving or we have the most amazing luncheon with an old friend or like you just experienced, even if it wasn't about what it was about, but that wonderful week of a, of a sharing with other human beings and what that makes you feel like when you come away from that. I feel as though I, I've had a chance to not only re-examine so many of my own life experiences already happened to me, already occurred, but occurring. And one of them I can say was this past week myself teaching my own workshop for seven days and which is I think my 18th year now so it's not a new thing and you well know that you've you've taken part in the past as a student and it's a wonderful week of this eclectic mixture of people from different studios so there's none of the politics involved it's in a neutral space and everyone comes in with with their baggage you know and with their uh, their vestiges of insecurity and whatever stuff they're bringing from maybe what they've been told or maybe what they already feel or what they already experienced from where they were trained and what avenues they've taken since then if they've had a chance. And I, I was so, I'm always profoundly affected by the energy in the room and I'm profoundly affected by experiencing new people and watching people that I might know experience others that they may not know. And it, I feel myself fill up like a vessel and and while I'm filling up like a vessel I feel myself this sounds so strange and esoteric but I feel myself have all these little spouts come out and all those little spouts have something that I feel like I want to address and as those little spouts happen quite often they are to do with the ballet technique that I may be choosing or if it's a choreographic element how to lend itself to the movement but inevitably and almost without fail they have something to do with human nature and our own emotional or cerebral response to what we're experiencing and it's exhausting I mean I know you know that because you have experienced this week yourself as well as your regular schedule and maybe more than usual and I feel as though those experiences I come away from and I I feel 
like you fill up with all this humanity that's around you and all that they've gone through and you kind of pour it into this huge urn filled with your own liquid elixir of life shall we use all these metaphors it all blends and then when you pour it out you're trying to lend your elixir to everyone else's elixir but at the same time you're pulling a little bit from everyone in the room so it's meant to empower everyone even more with a greater understanding of themselves but also of where they are in the space and that to me is kind of I decided I if I were to write a book remember we discussed this many podcasts ago I thought it might be something about holistic learning using that word in relation to learning because I feel as though so many people don't practice that I feel like it becomes a very specific well I'm now learning this particular academic pursuit or I'm learning this um, genre of dance or I'm uh, learning this particular way of playing an instrument and people really get hooked on the idea if I if I deviate from that I won't learn it as well Mm -hmm. as opposed to fully immersing themselves in the experience, which will mean that they're learning more than just what they set out to learn. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I feel, I feel, I feel kind of, um, well, I, I feel invigorated actually considering how exhausted I am and I'm throwing you some of my invigoration right now as we speak, because <laughs> I know you're feeling more exhausted than invigorated this particular day, but I, yeah, that the, the the youthful energy and the the life experiences that they're all having, some spoken of and some not, I feel, I must say that it's hard to be in a room and feel so much unspoken life experience because I try very hard not to uh, even let it dwell in my body because, of course, it would make me feel yucky because uh, some life experiences are not positive. But at the same time, I can't help it. So when I'm in a room like that with, say, 19 people and all those life experiences swirling around the air, I, I, I guess I just get this sort of general impression of what would be helpful and what would be maybe uh, sort of a cohesion that maybe people, and especially with different, I had an incredible age range from 10 to 31 for seven days. It was, it was incredible. It really was. It's one of my... I told the parents during the informal showing it was one of my more favorite experiences of the workshop, just simply because of the combination of the human beings that were there, of the combination of the wild, diverse ages of, of the places where they all were in their own time period and their own development. And where I, and obviously we always have to say where we ourselves are at. It just was, it was just a really great mixture. So I, I have to say that I've never been one of those, and perhaps you can attest to that, I've never been one of those people, and certainly not one of those teachers that's felt, oh, I am now talking to a chronological age fill in the blank, so I will now speak this way, and I will uh, edit all other thought processes out. I try very much when I'm teaching to have a, a, I almost feel like it's a net. I'll speak my central truth and then the net reaches out on all sides to try and grab all the people that are around me that to understand things differently, either because of different life experiences, different language grasp, different ages, different time periods for themselves, maybe different damage as well. And it felt like a really wonderful uh, culmination of that this week. I really felt like everyone found something for themselves including myself, clearly I'm waxing rhapsodic about it. So I had a wonderful time. So I, 
all that to say, I completely understand how you can come away from something that's exhausting and filled with energy and learning and so much, like you said, the interesting facts of the body and how it works and the nervous system and how everything interrelates and come away literally feeling like you can sleep for a week, but at the same time wanting to get out in the world and open your eyes and experience everything with this new perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the mm, oh, mm, ah, 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 ah. so many things to say. It's been two weeks, and I've just been building up little things. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, you know, specifically a part of that pa- past week. So, I, you know, I was doing this intensive nine to five, uh, and I was doing shows in the evening. Right. Right. So it was a it's a particularly yeah. long yeah. week, and. It was quite interesting to um, observe, yeah, the you know how to how to be with the people around me. A mm-hmm. lot of what you're talking about, which is so interesting to me in terms of the nervous system and how we um, have a more connected social mm-hmm. experience with each other, mm-hmm. um, you know, has to do with meeting the room with where it's at, mm-hmm. uh, which becomes reciprocity and, mm-hmm. and all sorts mm-hmm. of things. Um, and it's really interesting to talk about and break down into different perspectives and all sorts of things. Um, yeah, I kind of felt like I was traveling through time <laughs> as, a, uh, as a little um, sponge that was also observing yes. all of these uh, things that were swirling around the room. Yes. And then uh, my own experience amidst all that as well. Yes. And it was particularly interesting to go and talk all day about how we're able to, uh, how our bodies organize all of our experience at yeah. a biochemical, yeah. you know, yeah. neurological level, and then go and dance. Yeah, exactly. In, with that very know, body. With that very <laughs> they had body. organized things all day. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, I think particularly I'm thinking about the last day, Friday, because that was really the day where I, I felt tired. And yeah. I had I had a great, um, I had a very creative uh, agreement for my shows was that if I was in a place where I could, it was unhealthy for me to do the show, I had the option to opt out of two or four shows. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, which was a very creative yeah. Um, yeah. clause. I thought I applaud yeah. the people I was working with yeah. for that. Um, and so... Yeah, Friday before the last show, I thought, you know, I don't know if I need to do this show. Right. I don't know if I should do this show. I'm going to. And so, you know, I had a very honest conversation with my colleagues about that. Um, And I said, okay, well, let me just take some time. And maybe we just call it right before the show if everyone's okay with that. Because it's that type of show. Yeah. um, yeah, yeah. It has a very, um, a structure that can take a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. And so I ended up doing the show which I haven't even reflected on because I've just bounced into the next crazy yeah. schedule, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, new episode coming <laughs> right after this. Crazy schedules. Uh, yeah. yeah. Eventually we'll talk about crazy schedules. Yeah. Um, yeah, but a few things that were – my voice was so full. There's a lot of talking during mm-hmm. the show. My voice was so full. My, my body was sort of – um, I don't know. I could get really esoteric about it, but um, it felt like a different level of embodiment. Like mm-hmm. I had to meet myself where I was at, which mm-hmm. was at a very tired and yeah. raw place, yeah. Yeah. and then 
truly uh, wonder if that was something, if I could be that way and share the room with an audience, which right. it's a very intimate it space. It certainly is, yeah. And uh, yeah, it was the it was sort of the same the same experience as being in the workshop, which is that, but it was just the audience. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it does. You know, it's yeah. another group of people yeah, with exactly. things swirling around. Exactly. And you're taking in yeah. Yeah, all of their... And yet you're supposed to be entertainment, which is such an interesting thing, because when you think about it, uh, that's, and actually that's very esoteric, but I think this would be a great time to address that. As performers, there's this whole way of thinking that says a performer is up there for the purpose of the audience's entertainment. And the audience should be transported to a place they have not yet been or that they've been before and they want to revisit. And that there's a certain amount of quantifiable value that they will place monetarily and also time wasting wise mm -hmm. that they will apply to what they see or, or think is missing. And yet as performers, when you think about, and I just, I spoke about this all week, I said, this is a very strange subject to actually discuss because I'm asking you in <clears throat> excuse me under the auspices that we were in which was in a, a studio a private studio ourselves just with me as being the person at the front of the room and the mirror and of course each other and I said I want you to be genuinely what you're feeling right now I want you to not go to comfort zones. I want you to not repeat patterns. I want you to not do what you think you do well. And I want you to not worry about pleasing me because it is it, it shouldn't be about that. But then I, I said something that I could hear that it could be heard as a contradiction in which I said, but at the same time, you're sharing. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. Because you are, you are sharing. Otherwise, it's something you happily do at home in your living room or you go into your bedroom and you read or or you just sit at the edge of the beach and stare at the sunset and do whatever you need to do and I I said it's a it's a balance that I think quite honestly isn't at all discussed when kids are training mm -hmm. and it isn't I don't know if it's really and I, I can't speak to this from personal experience but I don't know if it's properly discussed in some of the bridging avenues that are available out there maybe it is which it would be wonderful because I think that as a performer it's wonderful to think about this is my personal experience in this exact moment with the body I'm feeling whether it be dead exhausted or openly receptive to everything that's going on um, with the emotionality I'm feeling because of what I experienced today or last week or seven years ago or 18 years ago or when I was born or whatever um, and I'd like to share that with you and as I share that with you, I am going to also experience it. So it doesn't mean that fake, you know, grin on your face, face out, looking, what do they say? Engage the audience, engage the audience, which basically means stare at somebody and try to make them not be able to, to do anything but stare back. Sounds in a bit their personal opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a bit. <clears throat> if someone did that to me on the bus. Well, exactly. Um, yeah. And I, if you think about it, let's take that into, yeah, basic human interaction context. I, I had a flashback to a very uncomfortable first date many years ago in my late 20s where it, what I didn't even really want to think of it as a date. I wasn't into the dating scene. I didn't want to date. But okay, sure, someone says, I think you and this person have a lot to talk about. They happen to be somebody that they thought I'd be, you know, maybe compatible with, happened to be an opposite gender, happened to be sort of the right age range, 
they, they thought it would be an okay recipe for a friendship. That was their thought. Uh, I went into it, okay, well, I'm not going to be closed-minded. Who knows? It could be somebody that I haven't yet met that I could enjoy a space with. This person went into it with entirely different agenda. <laughs> and the very first, I can say, half hour was spent with this person gazing into my eyes in this intense, provocative, obnoxious way that I was supposed to feel an immediate connection to. And finally, I just said, you know, I am, um, I'm tired. I think I'm going to call it. And they said, but I thought we were connecting. And I said, no, you were staring. <laughs> I wasn't remotely on a receptive receiving end of this. Um, and I'm, I, you know, I'm sorry for wasting your time, but, uh, and it's fine. I was just telling my mom about that experience this morning. We we're having a good laugh, but I just said, it's so interesting how people can go into a situation with such a, a preconception of to what they're going to get out of the situation rather than being open to whatever the experience is, which is what you just ex- said that you experienced. You thought, I'm really tired. I'm on the final day of my workshop. I'm fulfilled on so many levels. I don't know if I can give what I think I'm supposed to give to this show, but you gave something differently. And and obviously you were open to it and the audience was open to it. And I don't think you got booed off the stage, did you? I'm famous. Well, there we go. I <laughs> it all worked out. You signed autographs till midnight <laughs> and then woke up and did another job the next day. I did. You know, there's there's a there's a skit that's really old now for people listeners that have uh, seen the TV show in Living Color. Did you ever see that TV show? Mm-hmm. Okay, there was a a very funny skit done by I I think three or four of the regular cast members, and they portrayed themselves as a Jamaican family who had ninety five jobs each because not only to get by, but simply to you know try to find their way in the in the I guess the American world that they had immigrated to and I used to almost pee my pants at that because they made it they they were taking what could be pathos on so many levels you know the the calamity of trying to make your way in a new place and having to have seven jobs just to survive and they made it humorous so that people who were completely pampered and never you know either never had to work or else had one job that basically birthed their child for them it was so well taken care of could see the humor in doing too much, mm. you know, and I, I still, well, being a, a little bit of an overachiever uh, to the depths of my bone marrow, I think that that really struck a funny bone with me. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that if you maybe were able to view an old episode, you might get a good laugh now too, if at all possible. Maybe I'll go back and watch that exact I one. Think, I think so. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, while we're veering there now, anyhow, but it's interesting, you know, when I think about, um, yeah, taking on too much and, and where, um, being present Mm -hmm. exists inside of that. I mean, okay. There's one set of the conversation, which we won't have now, but, um, being present in that, are you being present? That's another thing. But when I, you know, I think about, um, my dad and my grandpa who took on jobs that asked way more of them than, you know, any normal job, basically just on call 24 seven. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, but they, you know, when people are, yeah, working beyond like just giving, 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 kind of working beyond capacity and this capability to still find humor, be able Mm -hmm. to, you know, Mm -hmm. is, um, it's a gift. It's a, it, it is. A, and I, when I say a gift, I don't mean that 
you're lucky if you have it or someone gives it to you. It's, it's a gift to find within ourselves. Yeah. And I, I have to say that I, I you know, I'm, I'm going to segue in, into quite a sharp channel to the left here. That's one thing that I come away with from my childhood rearing very strongly. And that with two messages that I'll never forget being that we've already had the conversation as to be an orthodox way I was raised and in the environment that I was raised was incredibly affluent and everyone had, there were no have nots Mm -hmm. and I never felt like a have not. And yet we had nothing in comparison to the haves in Mm -hmm. in my environment. And when I hit grade eight, uh, some young, there was a, you know, it's a high school, well, it was eight, nine and 10 in one school, it was junior high school. And there was, so there was an influx of new humanity. And I remember meeting a young woman who I resonated with because I, I always am drawn towards those people that seem to really uh, need and I, I want to give. And this young woman and I struck up a friendship and her mother never ceased to talk about how they had nothing and how they needed and how they never had. And, and it was such a, a state of poverty of the heart and the mind. And I didn't know how to take it. And I didn't know how I felt about it. And as I've inferred in the past in many podcasts, my dad has always possessed an uh, unfailing ability to put things into rather abrupt terminology, maybe overly impassioned and certainly politically incorrect. And he has always said poverty is a state of mind. And you either think you're poor and then you lack and you have nothing or else you are in the moment living your life. And you may look around and notice that people have things that you don't have. But it's not a comparison as in we have less and they have more. It's that's what they have and this is what we have. And one thing that we had in such plenitude as a, as a family and throughout my entire, my entire rearing times right to 18 was humor. There was so much laughter. I mean, we had so much laughter, dinner table laughter. I mean, laughter at, and sometimes just the absurdities that would occur in a I mean, it's too banal to even for me to recall at this moment. Some of them a little bit more cuckoo and and, uh, <laughs> and truly esoteric and un, unorthodox from my childhood, you know, cutting off the table leg and it was too, you know, it was imbalanced. So just keep cutting them off until you end up eating Japanese style or, you know, um, me trying to boss my brother around in the in the shed and he wanted to get on my dad's motorcycle, which was probably, I think he didn't ever have huge motorcycles. So it was probably a 400 or so. And he sat on it. Shen was just little. And I was bossing him around telling you, you need to get off there because you're going to get hurt. And as I shoved him off, then of course, you know, that's inevitably situations, the motorcycle tipped and I'm horrified that I'm going to dump my dad's motorcycle. So here's this kid. I don't recall how old I was, 9, 10, 11, somewhere in there. I'm holding up a 400 CC motorcycle pinned pinned against my dad's work table. <laughs> I had a handlebar scar in between my, my meager chest for the longest time. And of course we had to have a laugh about it because after, you know, the fear and my dad, Shen running to get my dad, dad coming and helping out. He, he knew, he said, were you bossing Shen around? <laughs> Just maybe. Uh, so, it, you know, there's humor, there's humor in so many nooks and crannies of existence and I think that the more exhausted we are the more susceptible we are to reaction and I think that I really 
I can't help the emotional reaction side of me because it comes up. And it's usually, I will cry more easily. I will feel uh, sadness for others more easily. Some might call that compassion. For me, I, I, I don't know, that sounds sort of heady. So yeah, okay, so it's compassion, but I will feel it more readily when I'm exhausted. I will also laugh more readily because realistically we all have limitations and I think that a lot of time in this particular day of society we are constantly pushing them and half the time we don't even know how how jammed up against our wall of limitations we are where our cheek is smushed and our eyes are crossed and you know there's no breathing space and then we realize oh yeah you know I don't I don't have I have anything left and it sometimes it takes you know, the most innocuous or, or unfortunate incident to kind of flick you and realize, oh my goodness, you know, maybe I should have built in some spare days there or a sleep day or a, you know, take my personal space day or whatever. Everyone has their own version of that. And I can genuinely say I have just experienced that because I came off of teaching intensely and then, you know, because there's those days that you think you have free. I looked at my last two weeks of June. I thought, oh, I've got time off. So I literally scheduled something for every single day. Most of it had to do with um, a combination of chores and things that needed to be done for the household or de- done for, you know, personal health or appointments, you know, things that you had to hold, you know, and, and you had to maintain a certain obligation and responsibility towards and then also many things for my daughter so that she could have I hate this word but play dates or time with friends or time to be doing this or before I knew it it was you know jammed up we're we're at June 28th and my birthday being July 1st has always been this time where I want to have time to just decompress and be with my family and that always has to do with nature and my husband honored that beyond belief I had the most wonderful birthday weekend But again, I was with him and Kira the entire time. And because it's impossible to go places and not bump into humanity, especially on the holiday weekend, we did in one particular incident um, bump into quite a bit. And I found myself just saturated and overwhelmed. It was nobody's fault. And it wasn't humanity's fault. It was certainly not my husband's fault. It wasn't Kira's fault. It wasn't my fault. It was just I needed that, that empty space where there's just, you know, where you're just you. And you don't talk necessarily. Maybe you don't even do, which is hard for me very much. But I, uh, and then I went straight from that to my workshop. So I had to find, you have to, right? It's not only the survival, but it's, listen, I, I built this schedule. No one forced me to do this. And along the lines, I'm involving a lot of other human beings with open hearts. And, and my heart was open in the time of involving. So I can't renege on that. And I feel like all that's left over at the end of that is, well, enjoy, enjoy the fact that you won't have perfect moments. I did share with you an anecdote off air, which I'll now share on air. One of my grossly and joyfully imperfect moments would have been in a teaching moment where I was discussing fluidity and uh, the continuity of movement. And I was feeling quite vehement about it. And I had used many of my favorite descriptive words. And then I just felt like I need to go for a scientific fact. So I said, well, after all, our bodies are made of 97% water. And everyone just listened, took it in. And we went on with class and the day was over. And I went home and woke up in <laughs> terror in the middle of the night, realizing that's entirely wrong. <laughs> and I was, you know, I, 
I, I pride myself on, on accuracy. I pride myself on sharing. If I'm going to be sharing facts, I want them to be accurate. If I'm sharing anecdotal experiences or my own opinions, well, they're, you know, one can't fault those because they're my experiences and my opinions, but that was a fact that was totally inaccurate. So the next day I came back and I said, I just want to apologize to all of you. Last night I woke up in the middle of the night and realized that I gave you a gross inaccuracy yesterday. And I would like to apologize for that and correct it and just say that your bodies are actually 70 to 85% water. And just curious, did anyone notice that I said that? And so many of them shot up their hands and said, yeah. And I said, and why didn't you say anything in the moment? And one of them said, well, because you're always right, which is funny. I mean, let's have a laugh at that, folks, because no, I'm not always right. I said, maybe let's say that a different way. I'm just very convincing because I'm so convinced myself in the moment <laughs> with my vigor, vehemence and passion. And she said, OK. And, and then one other person said, well, my experience is, is that you never correct a teacher. Mm. You never correct it. And of course, I'm sure that I'm sure I don't know. Have you had experiences like that? I certainly have. You you, you just don't. <sighs> Um, I have always really, we'll talk about uh, what we pride ourselves on. I have always kind of prided myself on the fact that I can be a bit of a brat. Right. I, I like the imp that lives inside of me. The speak up one. Yeah. Um, and um, I think, yeah, I don't know. That's always been quite a funny thing to try. And uh, it's interesting talking about this because there are so many moments where um, there's a choice of not wanting to speak up, not because it's, which I don't think is the scenario that was um, with your students, but you don't want to speak up because you don't really want to have the roundabout conversation with that person around right, 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 what that right. will ensue. Right. So in my experience, um, I'm quite vocal in when I think things... <laughs> I do wrong. Yes. Yeah, but I try to do it very kindly and playfully. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'll, there's so many times where I, yeah, won't. I'll just let it breeze by, and yeah. and and that's totally fine. Um, but it's interesting now, even in saying that, I'm reminded of something that I think I think a theater uh, teacher once said this but you know every time you don't speak the muscles in your face still move right <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah so there's a theater exercise where you just sort of uh, yeah. and you move your mouth around and stretch your face muscles out because there's of all the unsaid things, right right that's wonderful that. yeah that's wonderful yeah it is wonderful and that's because that could relate itself to the entire body too holistically speaking of mm -hmm. course mm -hmm. and interesting thing about the unspoken and the unsaid things directly in this particular context is is that there's the whole why why aren't you speaking up you so you you spoke of a specific scenario where not wanting the whole roundabout discussion well i think that in a lot of cases when i make the choice to not speak up or address that particular thing i hear myself continue if, if, if it's a conversation that continues i will correct them in the conversation mm. just to see if they catch it right. not as a test but just as a I guess a sharing mm. if it's if it's one of those situations where you feel as though this could be offensive and hurt this person's feelings if I point out that they I don't know were grammatically incorrect or their uh their facts are not straight or they 
just called someone the wrong name, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, really, they shouldn't be offended for calling someone the wrong name because they just made a mistake. But I feel as though there's a little too much uh, insecurity and defense system in in being wrong. Mm-hmm. I really do. And I think that that was one of the things that coming from the background that I come from and coming from the parents that I came from and being the person that I am, I've never had a problem being wrong. You know, being wrong is, is just the other side of being right. And it's, it's the yin and the yang and the black and the white and the dark and the, and the slightly lit. It's just essentially being wrong as a state of mind. And is it just being wrong or is it, you just made a mistake or is it just a different way of saying it? Or, you know, I mean, one could be very philosophical about it. But I, I feel like it's best in the moment to look at the person that you're discussing with and try to figure out, you know how, I think you and I spoke about those white lies that they get called, you know, when you, are you going to hurt someone if they come up to you and say, do I look fat in this dress or is my new haircut hideous? If they give you those black and white, no other avenue answer, you know, answer this this way, you came up with a wonderful answer. I can't remember now. It was something to do with the sweater. It was a number of podcasts but ago that was so beautifully graceful in dealing with, I'm not going to answer that black or white because my if I did, I would hurt you. And there's no point, uh, you know? But yeah. What's the point of, of hurting somebody? And I feel like uh, being a very strong personality and someone who does her research, I genuinely want to make sure that when I do speak with conviction... I actually know what I'm talking about. So when I hear someone speak with conviction and they don't know what they're talking about, I try to offer the grace for them to be in that space and inhabit that, that moment and possibly correct themselves. And if they don't, sometimes I'll try to throw it into the conversation as sort of inadvertently as we go along. And if they don't catch it, then I just leave it. What's the point? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just one of those things where there's a lot of times in life where we could expend a lot of energy and a lot of aggravation over something that really isn't worthwhile and, and seems to be a bit more about superiority. And, and again, the, the other side of being wrong is being right. Are you being right or are you just speaking the truth that you know in that moment, which might be incorrect and it might also just be incorrect to one person. You know, there's, again, mm-hmm. one could have a philosophical bent on it. However, 97% water of our bodies is just genuinely incorrect. <laughs> just wrong it's so funny because my impulse is to argue that whether or not that is true or right. that is my impulse <laughs> you know I could go so far in that direction um but I won't because I don't mean to okay um because you don't want to hurt my feelings yeah I don't want to hurt your yeah. feelings <laughs> and uh I don't have the energy no, no. <laughs> that's good that's good no but I but it is really interesting you know um and yeah the why I always think about that why yeah, you know, I'm always working really complex group scenarios. Yeah. And I want to be, um, when I say something, I would like it to be essential in a way. Right, right. Um, and not all the time. I don't live my life that way. That yeah. would be exhausting. Yeah, sure would. Um, so, you know, I have I can blab forever. Um, but, yeah. What am, what do I need to say if I'm going to speak? What do I need to say mm-hmm. that is going to um, shift things, mm-hmm. or, and not so I can be in control or mm-hmm. anything like that? But how can I offer 
what I'm experiencing, what I'm observing, and what I think is happening mm-hmm. in sort of a concise way where I'm not taking charge of the room, right. controlling everything, imposing my own belief else. system. Yeah. 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 Um, and that's a really, I mean, it's interesting that you're, you're specifically coming from the perspective of teaching, which yeah. is that you're the, you are the take charge person. Yeah. yeah. You're the leader in the room. Yeah. And I'm, I work in a lot of so-called democratic spaces yes. where yeah. everyone is sort of sharing yeah. the space in that way. That's not always. No, really I happening. know. I know. <laughs> but I know. Democracy is a greatly flawed institution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even, yeah, I don't know, even uh, if you, if, well, if you wanted to try and say everything you were thinking, feeling, wondering, how could you even get the words out? That's what I think. Well, do you know what's interesting? Two things came to mind as you were just speaking. So one of them is you said, when I speak, I want it to be essential. So do I. A confession. And I actually go out of my way to try to make sure that it is, except when I go to the opposite range and that's my silly range Mm -hmm. obviously that's a much more private intimate atmosphere for Mm -hmm. me and and I need that place it's the uh I don't it it doesn't matter what I say there's no no one is on the receiving end will be hurt or distraught or misled so I really do need that outlet and I find that it's it's not no one's imposed this upon myself it's self-imposed I do enjoy being able to express myself in a manner that people take away that there's a takeaway and mm-hmm. it's not a, a a negative one hopefully and that is exhausting I, I will be 100 percent honest I don't mind that it's exhausting I couldn't be any other way and I do that when I'm in friendship situations and specifically one-on-one mm-hmm. especially when someone says to me I really need to be with you can we get together I know myself it's going to be I really want to listen and hear and and be able to offer. Mm-hmm. So after that, I find myself just wanting to, to almost do garble gibble and, and, and giggle and laugh. And those will be the times I'll go home to Michael and Michael say, you know, how are you doing? And how was your visit? Or how was your day? And do you want to watch something? Which is his way of saying, do you want to watch something to make you laugh? And I'm not, as you know, a TV person. I am, I do like movies, but I've kind of run out of movies right now that I can see that are going to, uh, stimulate me in that particular humorous bent uh, so we've been hunting old and new stand-up comedians mm. down just to get that it's there's such a oh my goodness it's such an endorphin release when you can just laugh uproariously at somebody else's humor about somebody else's situation that you may never encounter but wow the perspective they take on it, the way they you know spout it out the other thing that you said that made me giggle was when you said, you can't, you say this from a place of teaching and when the, you're in a leadership position and I work in mostly democratic or supposedly democratic situations, that is something I am incredibly sensitive to. So that when I go to be a Sarah, just out socially or, or with, you know, a couple situation or whatever it might be, I actually will be very quiet mm-hmm. because I'm so used to being the leader that I fear whether it's unfounded or not, that I will pull attention from what needs to just be a group atmosphere or needs to be perhaps maybe more heavily non-democratic for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I find that that's not difficult for me to do. It's actually quite easy socially because it's, you know, you can just sort of sit back and enjoy the ride. 
but it does mean that you have to hear so many things that you as a teacher or myself as a teacher or a leader would speak to. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of letting it go by and, and, and having an agreement with myself that this is not the time or the place and that perhaps maybe it'll come up in a podcast <laughs> or, or in a conversation or, or in a teaching environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I don't have anything to say. About that. <laughs> Not a single thing. I, I so appreciate your honesty. Oh, I do have something. Okay, to say. here it comes. Um, <laughs> well, you know, inside of all of this, the thing that I think we're really talking about here, I am trying to be essential. Let me essentialize what we've been talking about. You know, is uh, yeah, security in mm-hmm. a way, personal security, right? Um, yeah, there are lots of things are. Oh, and we're talking about the nervous system. So I can talk about what that means. Um, but yeah, how, you know, what all of these things are things that make you think you have, you know, you have the choice. You either, or sometimes you don't have the choice, but you either need to react to them or respond to them, mm-hmm. or you can choose not to. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether or not your own perception of what you need to, mm-hmm. what you mm-hmm. need to mm-hmm. respond to or react to mm-hmm. uh, is very individual based on Absolutely. maybe what your sense of security in the moment mm-hmm. is like. Um, that's a very... Also, though, not just your sense of security in the moment, but I think that that just makes me think right away about being brought up with uh, some sort of spiritual pathway because there are so many uh, religions and organized groups of spirituality that have phrases not just turn my other cheek but but live and let live and all those sort of things so there's I think it's a lot to do with your influences that make up your entire your philosophical thought process because I I I mean even the Buddhist teachings is is to really let be mm-hmm. and and there's a beauty in that I mean why do we need to speak to everything why do we need to point out hmm that's not what I know, or that's not what I know to be true, or that's not what I just read five seconds ago in a textbook that was, you know, edited in 1998 and produced by, again, that's mm-hmm. a whole other argument, produced by who, I mean, you, Michael, well, I'm sure you've heard him say, uh, he'll say something and I'll say, what's your source? <laughs> no, it drives me crazy. But it's true. I, I want to know, well, where did you hear that or read that? What, what was your experience? Because that does color my reception of it. Mm-hmm. I think that we should just leave the room. We should just stop right now yeah. and just... Um, clear the air. Yeah, just clear the air. Get democratic. Yeah, it's been intense. <laughs> I need my five minutes. Okay. <laughs> No. Oh, well, that I would have something to say about. (laughs) All right. Well, it was absolutely glorious to talk to you again. Thank you. Likewise. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. And thanks for coming to Sarah's Space.